too sexy. Unix, you're too sexy, goddammit. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. Oh, hello. Welcome, eavesdroppers, to another episode of Eavesdropping the Podcast. This week, I'm hoping it won't be quite as anxiety inducing as the one about mad cows and Ebola. And what else was there? There was a brain munching amoeba that enters through the nostril. That was nice, wasn't it? Yes, well, look, you, you need to know about these things. You've got to protect yourself. You need yourself. to know so you can freak out. <laughs> freak out and also just make good choices, people. We're doomed. No. We're doomed. No, no, no <laughs> doomsday. If we're doomed, let's laugh as we go down. That's the only thing Laugh you can along do. with us. I'm Geordie, by the way. And I'm Michelle. And you are listening to Eavesdropping the Podcast, which makes you an eavesdropper. And as an eavesdropper, you will know what we're talking about most of the time. But if not, if you're just brand new here, for example, you may not know who certain people are that we talk about. Forgive us. We're not trying to exclude you. We want to include you. For example, I'm about to talk about a friend of mine and a friend of the show, a lady who has written in on many occasions with lots of different ideas for stories. And she wants a new nickname now. It's Janneke from Amsterdam. Oh, yes. my God. No, she hasn't gotten in touch. It's Ray. Ray is also another friend and eavesdropper. He is the only one who hasn't been scared off by Janneke's menacing message last time <laughs> saying it will not do all this talk of pussies and lube and menopause and etc. So he has not given up. So he's made one more suggestion. We made two more suggestions. Let me explain. He has made a suggestion for Janneke, which is deed poll rather than Deadpool, because obviously we've made a poll to find out what her name is. But then he's moved on from that and he said, because we're Australian, why don't we just call her Yano? Yano. Because that's what Aussies do. They take a name, they shorten it, they put an O on the end. Micho. Jordo. Yeah, Jan. Jordo. <laughs> Trevor. 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 Hey, you doing, Trevor? Or if you're a fan of Mr. In Between, you'll know that instead of a, a, a dim sim, it's a dimmy. Dimmy. It's a dimmy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Me too. Dimmy. Um, I mean, I don't even have dim sims in this country. They're called dim sum or dumplings. Well, it is slightly different because a dimmy, dim sim, in Australia, I mean, if you get it from it your local... one dim sum? Ta- well, no, I don't think so. Is dim sum many? Is it like the plural? It's a dimmy. D- dumpling. A dumpling, exactly. It's a big fat meat dumpling that's been fried with all the other things that they fry, like the chips, like the battered salve, like the... Well, no, what but it's not there? really a dumpling. It's, I mean, it's just a weird thing. I've only seen them in Australia because it's not quite Chinese. It's not quite Australian. It's... Fusion. Is it fusion food? Honestly, I think they just made it up and called it a dim sim. <laughs> because now it's a dimmy. It didn't make me really want to have one because I was more into potato scallops. You knew what you were getting. Yeah. 10 cents for a potato <laughs> scallop. They used to be. Obviously not anymore. It's been a long time. I don't even know if they make them anymore. But for anyone who I'm doesn't I'm sure know, they do. If you don't know what Giant we're potatoes. Talking, yeah, covered slice, in batter. Battered. Deep yeah, fried. Deep fried. And then load on the salt. And vinegar. No, I never had the vinegar. 
Okay. We are talking about Mr. Inbetween. And I know we've yeah, side... kind of gone off track because I was talking about Yarnica. I know you were. Okay, go back to Yarnica. Just quickly wrap this up. Now, regarding names and nicknames, Dimmy, etc., Ray has said you shouldn't really get to choose your own nickname. And that's fair True. enough. I mean, Ray has never chosen his own nickname, of which he has plenty, which I won't share on the show. <laughs> I think Yarnica has already given herself her own nickname. Yannicka from Amsterdam. That will have to do. I like that one. It's simple. It's to the point. It's better than Yazzie Yannicka. It's better than Yano. It's better than... Lube. Better than Lube. <laughs> it's better than <laughs> menopause. And it's better than Pussy Pesha. And the original nickname that she wanted replacing, which was Yannicka in the tubble in Amsterdam with a pair of pussies and a glass of champagne. Yes. Honestly, I would take that. Which was a bit long-winded. It was long, but Yannicka from <laughs> Amsterdam... Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Now, what were you going to say about Mr. Inbetween? It's a TV show, by the way. We talked about it recently. Really recommend you watch it. It's kind of like an Australian serialised version of a Tarantino film where you end up just adoring the anti-hero who is a hitman. You do. And I wanted to, first of all, say thank you very much for that telly-wreck because I think it's one of my all-time favourite TV shows ever I absolutely love it and even my Swedish fiance who doesn't necessarily like the same shows that I like he's watching it even giggled with the subtitles on I imagine because our Polish daughter-in-law here Mm. doesn't understand the Australian accent she actually asked are they speaking in Scottish (laughs) oh dear now they're just fucking talking like fucking fuck off I was like no no I absolutely love it I just wanted to mention two things first of all is it wrong that I find Ray's best friend Gaz very attractive there's something about him there is definitely something about him he's a fuck up but he's funny do you know he reminds me of someone that I worked with many years ago I am going to name drop once again I worked as a makeup assistant on the film Braveheart in the 90s with a great Irish crew and In that film, if you've ever seen Braveheart, there is one wild character who is Irish, but he is actually a Scottish actor whose name escapes me. He actually played Harry Potter in the Harry Potter films when they turned into odd versions of themselves. Oh, okay. His name's David. Dave. David. That's his name. David. Last name can't remember. He's wild. (laughs) Okay. And he was a lot of fun on set. And in the film as well. So he's a kind of like blow in mm. in the Scottish army. Okay. Provided a bit of comic relief. And that's who the actor who plays Mr. Inbetween's best friend is, Gaz. Sorry if you haven't watched it and we're talking about something you're not, again, not in on the joke. Let's move on. Well, I just want to, before we move on, I just want to say that I did learn something new from Mr. Inbetween. Before watching that, I did not know what a vajankle was. Vajankle. I don't know what it is. Oh, hang on. Oh, yes, now I do. We won't tell. All I'll say is when I was, and this might give you a clue, when I was in Germany recently, we stopped at a service station. A sex shop, I thought you were going to say. No, well, the service station may as well be a sex shop because Andreas came out. He'd taken a photograph of the vending machine. For five euros, you can buy a travel pussy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not joking. The graphics look like they were something straight out of the 80s. I don't know if it's a one use only, but he showed me and he said, do you have this in in the girls' toilets? I'm like, no, we don't. (laughs) 
<laughs> you cannot buy a travel pussy. Travel pussy. Travel pussy. That's bizarre. Will you send me the picture? I'll put it on our social Absolutely. media. Absolutely. Drop an underscore at Instagram. Yes, have a look for the travel pussy. Now, speaking of television, I do need to apologize to any of our listeners who, on my recommendation, even though I said I hadn't watched it, went and sought out a TV show called The Curse. Oh, yes. Well, that's getting rave reviews. It is. I told you that at the time. Everyone's all over it. Oh, best thing on TV. Just that sex scene was quite off-putting <laughs> for us, especially sitting in a family situation when it happened. Yes. Children and husbands around. It wasn't comfortable watching, was it, Michelle? Yeah, the sex scene... With It wasn't a travel pussy. It was a, a travel dildo. Maybe not even travel. Mm. It wasn't good. It was a stay at home. It was. It was an in the drawer. Stay at home vibe. Yeah, it wasn't great. Why are we talking about this? Well, I wanted to apologize to anyone oh. who sought out that show oh. on my recommendation. Yeah, because we did watch it and it was, it was shocking. <laughs> but apparently it's really good. So maybe we should give it another go. Well, you know, it's very meta. They're trying to be a reality TV show, but you're watching them supposedly being real. I mean, you know, all that rubbish. I don't think I'll bother watching the second episode. No? Okay. I just don't need to know about small penises and bad sex. You don't need it in your life. Nobody needs that. Oh, dear. Talking about anxiety, though, we were talking about anxiety before. I had a message from one of our listeners. I'm not going to name them in case it anxiety shames them. But yeah, there was a bit of anxiety regarding last week's episode, Michelle. Which bit in particular? Well, all of it. Mad cow, probably, but mostly the neti pot. We've got some listeners who do <laughs> who did use a neti pot up until that moment, aghast. Oh, God. Neti pots around the globe have been chucked in the bin. Yeah, okay. Sorry, neti pot. They won't be sponsoring us in the future. Look, I didn't make up the news. I just bring you the news. I'm <laughs> sorry if the neti pot and the brain-eating amoeba was terrifying to you, but don't you prefer to know? And you can still use your neti pot, people. Yeah. You just need to boil your water first. Your water. Boil your, your water. water. <laughs> oh, and also I had um, I had a listener get back to me regarding the chuckle that they had listening to you ask whether COVID began because of Chinese chickens. <laughs> Chinese chickens. Did I say that? Yeah. Wasn't it chickens? Was it Chinese chickens? Yeah. Was I on drugs? I don't know. Only you can answer that. (laughs) Oh, dear. Chinese chickens. Well, look, something happened in China. We all know that. I think it was bats, Michelle. They say it was bats. But obviously it was just a, a lab experiment gone rogue. But we're not talking about things like that today, are we, Michelle? No, we are not. What we are talking about is something completely different. And Yay. it all happened because we were having a quick a flick. flick through the book oh, yeah. that longtime listener Jane Beacon gave us. What's the encyclopedia called? I can't remember. We had a quick flick through the Chambers Dictionary of the Unexplained. I actually did receive a message from the other Beacon twin, Lucy Beacon, who wanted me to have a quick look at the monastic community of Mount Athos. Oh? Because, I'm not joking, there is a place here in Europe where women are banned to the point where even female animals are banned. Wow. Because we were talking about the beacons, I thought I'd just give this a little quick delve. Mount Athos is actually a peninsula on the mainland of Greece. 
And this whole thing is all to do with religion, obviously. So if you want to visit Mount Athos and you're a woman, no. Don't. No, you can't. It's not possible. Because you have to submit a copy of your passport to the Mount Athos Pilgrims Bureau, where they're just going to go, meh. Stamp it, no, unless you're a man, because each day 100 Orthodox and 10 non-Orthodox male pilgrims are allowed to stay on the peninsula for three nights. This is not a new thing. Mount Athos has barred women for more than a thousand years, Geordie. Wow, why? Well, it's a religious thing. And honestly, I looked into it because you're not even, as a woman, not even allowed within 500 metres of the coast. And it's basically to make sure that the monks aren't tempted to shag you. Uh, Okay, they've got that little self-discipline. Yeah, I mean, I guess celibacy is a very serious part of being a Greek Orthodox monk. I'm not going to say anything here about heteronormative sex. Yeah, Yeah, any holes of gold, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And the whole thing of, okay, if this is all to do with celibacy, they've also banned female animals. Oh God! So I'm not I'm not putting two and two together here. It's not our fault you can't control your dicks. I did think that's going a bit far with female animals. Apparently, if you renounce women, then you have to renounce all female beings, which includes wow. animals. Extreme. It's really extreme, but that means they have to bring in eggs, all dairy products, because they don't have chickens. Right. No Chinese chickens and they've got no, no Chinese chickens. No dairy no cows yeah. on the peninsula. <laughs> and also if you're a eunuch or a beardless youth, you're also what? banned from Mount Athos. Too sexy. Eunuchs, you're too sexy, goddammit. I know. Go away. <laughs> so there you have it, Lucy Beacon. Thank you for asking. Awkward Ox. Circling back to Jane oh. Beacon's book. Yes, the flicking of the of the dictionary. It did happen here when we were together last time and we chose some topics of convo for this episode, didn't we, Mish? Well, we gave the dick a flick and I landed on a page, a UFO encounter. OMG. OMG. OMUFO. It happened in France. So let's dive in. I'm going to go back to July 1965 to a place called Valençol. Do you think that's how they say it in French? Valençol. I don't know. No idea. What? V-A-L. <laughs> Valençol. I was trying to be French. Valençol. That's how we're going to say it from now on. Yeah. It's in France. And a farmer called Maurice Massey says he saw aliens. Actual aliens. Actual aliens. If you go on the internet, you're going to see there's a few different accounts, especially oh. one that is supposedly Maurice's statement to the gendarmerie, which are the French police. But I have to say, I wasn't there with Marie, so I don't know what's real and what's not. Mm, okay. But you can decide. On the morning of the 1st of July, 1965, Maurice was out in his lavender fields, which to me sounds absolutely divine because... Stunning. Where is he? Provence. He's in Valençol. Okay, wherever that is. <laughs> I don't know where that is. <laughs> I just think it sounds gorgeous. He was out there hoeing the fields, checking in on how the lavender was doing just going about his normal routine when, as he was walking back to his barn on the farm, he heard a strange sound coming from the back of the field. At first he thought it was a military helicopter because apparently they had landed in his fields before 
and had destroyed like Ooh. big chunks of his lavender plants, as they would if they're if a helicopter's landing. So he was already feeling a bit pissed off that it was happening again. He walked to the back of the barn, but what he saw was not a helicopter in his lavender field. What was that? Instead, he saw... Now, I read one report that said it was ruby-coloured. Oh. But then another report that said it wasn't. So, I don't know. It was a craft that was around the size of a small car. And it was sitting on top of four legs in the middle of the field, about 60 metres away. So, pretty close. Yeah. It's kind of a sphere. And inside the sphere, he saw two seats that were positioned back to back. And then he realised... That there were two kids in his lavender field <gasps> ripping up lavender plants, which oh again, God. yeah, it kind of pissed him off. So he started walking yeah. towards them to find out what the hell they were doing. Except as he got closer to them, oh shit! Yeah, he realized even though from a distance they looked like kids, and he said they had the build of like an average eight-year-old boy. There weren't kids. In fact, uh. he said they weren't even human. Oh, my God. Instead, these creatures were very pale with large, bald heads, sharp chins, elongated eyes that reached their temples, and they were wearing blue and green jumpsuits. And they seemed Mm. totally unaware that Maurice was staring at them. Now, I just want to say here, Geordie, that description sounds very much like the cover of that book. Yes, Communion by Whitley Strieber. Yeah. But that book came out in 1987. His encounter happened in 1985. And this is 20 years after Maurice's encounter. So they do sound very much like greys. He says he continued to watch these little bald creatures and they were grunting and making rumbling noises, which is kind of he thought the way that they were communicating with each other, even though he says their mouths were not moving. So I guess they were like... Who knows? A bit like the guy sitting next to me right now, munching away on a piece of lettuce. I know, that guinea pig. Now, Maurice then says, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the bald aliens turned to him, realised Maurice was looking at them, had this weird pointed pencil-like device, aimed it at him, and in that split second... Yes, this happened to Whitley Strieber as well. Really? Oh my God. What happened? Well, he was frozen. He was paralysed. Ah, So it was like they they ray-gunned him or something. I don't know. Yes. He was unable to move. He couldn't call for help. Nothing. He was literally paralyzed on the spot. And as he was there, not able to move, the aliens put the pencil things back in their pockets and both of them began to run to the sphere craft thing, which I actually did read was more rugby ball shaped. Then they opened a sliding door, slid inside the craft, and in seconds... It took off into the sky, heading west over France, and he heard a loud whistling sound as it ascended. Poor Maurice, who had been frozen to the spot, he had to stay there, paralysed in the field for around 15 minutes before he was finally able to move. Maybe like a stun gun kind of thing. God. And more than that, I read he, in one account, that he was also left with a strange burn mark on his chest. Right. I've heard that before. You've told me stories about this before. Yes. Do you remember there was the guy that had the, like from the exhaust, there were holes, burn marks on his chest too. So all of these things, we have heard all this stuff before. He was freaked out. Maurice was freaked out. So he headed into town to talk to his mate about what had just happened. And the friend decided, well, 
he wasn't going to go to the police. He just went and told everyone else in the town. Oh, my God, this just oh. happened to Maurice. And, oh. yeah. So now he's the local nut-nut. Well, they all went over to see. Oh. Yeah, the Lavender Field. And he tried to play it down, but... Everyone in the town went wild for the story. Mm. Apparently, even the French government sent officials out to check out the lavender field. And according to what I read, they apparently found a flat kind of imprint in the field. Where the craft may have landed. Exactly. And there was also a hole 30 centimetres deep that was cut into the ground in a perfect X shape. Now, I don't know why or what that means. I'm just saying that's what the government officials apparently found. Something else happened to that field that was weird. When the craft first landed, the area around it was much wetter than the rest of the field. So it was all Mm -hmm. kind of boggy, right? But pretty soon after it took off, the field hardened to the point where the soil became like concrete and nothing would grow there anymore. And they did some tests on the lavender around Mm -hmm. where the craft landed and it showed that the lavender had a higher concentration of calcium than other plants on the farm. And eventually all the lavender near the landing site just withered and died. So that's what was happening to the plants. Weird. But I also read that he was not able to grow anything really in that whole area for years. But that's not all because poor old Maurice was also starting to feel some side effects aside from that burn. So for no explainable reason, he found he could not stay awake for longer than four hours at a time. This was not normal for him because he's a farmer. Yeah, sure. He's up at the crack of dawn. Hoeing that field. All day long. And then I also read an article where he claimed that the aliens had shared some important information with him but that he was not going to tell anyone what it was. What? Yeah, and poor Maurice, he died in 2004. And never imparted the info. No, never. Maurice. I know. And look, I love this version, but there's another version, which is supposedly the transcript from the gendarmerie from French to English. So who knows if something was lost in translation. Kind of his witness statement, actually, where he Mm. recounted the whole thing a little bit differently. Apparently, he said he went out onto his field that morning to hoe it, tick, when he heard a high-pitched whistle. That wasn't in the earlier one. No. He then said he saw about 60 metres away a rugby ball-shaped object that was grey, not ruby. That's different. And he said it was the size of a Renault Dauphine, which I looked up that car. car. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's like this little cross between a V-Dub and a Carmen Gear, but it's a sedan. Oh, lovely. I know the one. I know the one. Yeah. He said it was standing on four legs, but, and this Hmm. is different, it had a glass compartment where he saw a person sitting inside. And he also said the craft had a sliding door on the side where a short, stubby person with white skin came out into Hmm. his field. The one inside then sees Maurice and makes a signal to the other one outside the craft to get back in, and he does. And then he hears the high-pitched whistle again. The craft Hmm. shoots off into the sky, and he said it lifted off without making any dust. But it did make a loud noise, and it shot off and disappeared after around 15 metres and was just at great speed. That really descriptive image of the grey aliens which are about the size of an eight-year-old boy with the almond eyes and pointed chin and no mouth 
and the sound of them talking didn't make it into the gendarmerie report. Well, hold your horses because it's kind of weird with the gendarmerie report because he made two. And this is the first gendarmerie report. In this one, he said he then waited about 20 minutes before going to look at the spot where the alien ship was. And then he said he saw the ground was wet with star-shaped marks and that there was a hole 40 centimetres in diameter, 50 centimetres deep, that formed a cross. He then went home but came back that evening with his daughter when he noticed that the ground was hard as concrete. He also noted on that night that the inner sides of the holes were blackened and that he says he told what happened to him to a friend who then told it to the whole village who all went to the field to check it out. And this was all before the police came to investigate the incident. So there's a little bit of stuff that's been crossed over. There is a bit. And I think what they're trying to say here is that after all the friends in the village came, I mean, look, the police were told, but they were like, oh, it's dark. We're not going there today. But all the friends were there. And I think what they're saying is, look, you know, he could have changed his story. But Mm. weirdly, one month later, Maurice apparently did go back to the gendarmerie to give new details of what really Mm -hmm. happened because he told the police in that first instance, he'd kept a lot of things to himself because, and these are his words, he didn't want to be taken for a loony. And do you know Um. what? I kind of get it. You're a lavender farmer. It's the 60s. Everyone in the village is, has gone because they've heard what's happened. He probably thought, if I really tell everyone what I saw, they're going to think I'm not not. So then he says he first heard the whistle. Then he saw two crouched beings that were obviously not human. He says he then went up to them and got within about seven meters from them before one of them saw him. One of them then points an object towards him, which paralyzes him instantly. So he's unable to move, but he says he was neither numb nor contracted. Don't really know what that means. But weirdly, he said he's able to stand up, but he's not falling over. And then he Mm -hmm. describes the beings as one meter tall, chubby, with a flat bald head, three times bigger than a man's head, with (sighs) big ears, no chin, (laughs) A hole where the mouth would be. and It's completely different. Really? And European skin tone with small hands. And that they were wearing uniforms with belts and holsters on both sides. Was it green and green and whatever jumpsuit? No, he didn't say anything about colour. But he did say that they did communicate with each other with gurgling sounds. And that they seemed to mock him. So I think he felt a little bit like, oh, Jesus. Pissed off by these little creatures. And then he said after about five minutes, they got back into their craft. It took off and then they took a tube from the ground that was attached to the craft. Yeah. And that's what left the hole. They were sucking something out of the earth. Maybe. For fuel or something. Maybe. And then the craft leaves faster than a jet plane. And then Maurice says he remained paralyzed for around 15 minutes before he could move again. Poor bloke. Yeah. So I can see that there are some parallels with his second statement and the common story about the incident that's out there. But I don't know what to believe. You know I want to believe. Of course you want to believe. I do. I want to believe. (laughs) But I did also read that astronomer and ufologist, who we've talked about before on this pod in relation to Project Blue Book, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Hynek, yeah. He, along with the French government, did investigate this case and the site And they apparently did find traces of 
unidentifiable particles and metals and things, which mm-hmm. suggests that whatever landed in Valensol on Marisa's lavender field had yeah. properties beyond what we know in terms of physics and technology and known metals. Uh-huh. Interesting, I thought. And then apparently in Socorro in New Mexico in America, a policeman called Lonnie Zamora in 1964, a year earlier, apparently had a very similar experience and had described mm-hmm. a craft that was almost identical to Maurice's. And he too reported being paralyzed by the creatures in the craft. Gosh. I don't know if it's real, if it's a hoax or not. I'm undecided. But this <sighs> is France's most talked about and kind of people look to this as evidence of a real UFO incident. It's interesting because we've we've spoken before about why do we never hear about it in other countries which aren't English speaking, for example, anything outside of Australia, America, the United Kingdom. Yeah. And here we are. And here Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. So if I hear anything more, if anyone's got any info on this, let me know. And thank you, Jane Beacon, for our lovely gift. What happened last night was a tough visit from an alien. There was an evil probe. Did he take me away in his super ship? What an alien. What an alien. Speaking of Jane Beacon and the lovely gift of the Chambers Dictionary of the Unexplained, yes, we did flick right through it and I landed on something also UFO based. So therefore, today I am going to tell you about men in black but before i do so before i do so i also want to follow up what you just told us michelle about the french lavender field ufo france's premier ufo story obviously by saying that and we have heard stories about it coming from other countries like russia in fact there's an extra dropping episode on our patreon account talking about near misses to humankind which is very interesting to listen to and i'm just going to tell you a quick story that while i was researching came across my view so let me tell you what i found from a herald article in 1997 on the night of october 4 1982 dozens of soldiers working at a nuclear Let me try and say that again. It sounds like a five-year-old saying nuclear. Nuclear. Is that right? I say nuclear. Why does it sound wrong? Nuclear base. Nuclear. 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 Nuclear Nuclear base in the Ukraine saw up to five UFOs. Oh, shit. Reports from the base to the Kremlin described a spontaneous illumination of all displays on the control panel of the base's nuclear missiles. Shit. The report said the top secret access codes to the deadly missiles had appeared spontaneously on the screens <gasps> at the base. Oh a Russian colonel called Colonel Sokolov from the Kremlin said at the time, on October the 5th, 1982, I was ordered to go immediately to the Ukraine. The reason for the urgency was a report from the base commander to the chief of the general staff. The previous day, the base observed a UFO for four hours. At the same time, on the control panel, they received an order to prepare the launch of the missiles. <gasps> Shit. These lights lit up and the appearance of the launch codes meant the missiles were cocked and ready to roll, enabled basically. Yep. Dozens of officers witnessed this. The incident helped 
pushed the Soviet authorities into a 10-year investigation of UFOs and aliens, their own Project Blue book. So that is a pin moment right there. Pin! Wow. I mean, that is terrifying. Obviously, the missiles were not launched. Thank God. But what do you think? They were just being naughty aliens just trying to fuck us up? No idea. Maybe it was a bit of a hair-raising moment. I don't know. Maybe it's been a close call. I just don't know. We also did talk on this podcast about the time that aliens intervened to protect us. Yes, exactly. And this seems, in a way, the opposite. It's like naughty aliens Pushing going, come on, come on, yeah, like this is what kill happen. each other. If you're a bunch of dicks. Yeah. They were trying to blow us all up. Maybe. Or maybe they're just giving it a close call. I don't know. But trying to find information on my subject for this week, Men in Black, was bloody difficult because really all you'll find is info about the film with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, (laughs) which makes it really difficult to find out. But the dictionary itself, our fantastic font of all unexplained knowledge, the Chambers Dictionary of the Unexplained says, Men in Black are folkloric visitors of unknown origin, said to arrive when people have reported a UFO experience to prevent the witness from revealing their story through various methods, either from a harsh word to mind wiping, mm. even moida. And then goes on to say, UFO cases from the 1896, 1896 people, airship wave, claim strangers arrived in the town to claim physical connection with the incident. Whoa there, Nelly. Rewind. What the hell was that? So at the turn of the century, and not the one we just went through, the one before. Yes. Basically, an airship wave in 1896 stroke ufo cases this is what the dictionary was alluding to i had to go to wikipedia to find out what the airship wave was yeah and it says the mystery airship or phantom airship there was a wave of airships yeah it said that thousands of people across the united states claimed to have observed during the late 1986 1896 sorry and early 1897 and typical airship reports involved nighttime sightings of unidentified lights but more detailed accounts reports ships comparable to a dirigible or a blimp aka like the hindenburg you know the hindenburg disaster from 1937 which is 40 years later Mm -hmm. i found out that airships were actually invented in 918 sorry 52 and they were steam-powered hydrogen balloons basically in the sky didn't work out as we find out from the hindenburg but these mystery airships the reports of seeing them were seen as a cultural predecessor to modern claims of extraterrestrial piloted flying saucer style ufos i read more about the incident in the guardian right an article from notes and queries so this is written in by a reader and i'm apologizing now i didn't take his name down but it said in april 1897 john halley and adolf great name venki of springfield illinois reported a flying craft of a similar type whose pilot in inverted commas told them that it was a new invention flown at night to attract less attention the pilot stated he had left quincy a hundred miles to the west only 30 minutes earlier 
an impossibility for an aerial object of the time. Similar objects were reported in Indiana, where a crew were making on-the-spot repairs. The pilot was tracked down by the press in Martinville, where he made the statement that he had an airship in Brown County undergoing repairs and three machines flying in central states of the US. While many reports at the time are undoubtedly hoaxes dreamed up by the local newspaper editors to increase circulation, there remain some tantalising unexplained facts. Also in 1897, for more than 30 minutes, a huge airship was witnessed by jurors, judges and lawyers who had gathered outside the courthouse in Harrison, Nebraska. It had a bright white light and coloured lights around it and was oval shaped with a box-like structure hanging from it and a propeller at the stem. To this day, though well documented, there have been no explanation for the sights observed. Now, this makes me think, were they just precursors to aircraft Mm. or were they government cover-ups? Some accounts during the wave of airship reports claimed that the occupants were visible on some airships and encounters with pilots were reported. These occupants often appeared to be human, though their behaviour, their mannerisms, their clothing, they all seemed to be unusual. Sometimes the pilots claimed to be from the planet Mars. Again, is that just newspapers going crazy wanting some more yeah readership generally though this is written off as a hoax like i said with one daily mail report from california in 1896 saying a man riding his buggy cars were a recent invention in 1885 right but he's got a horse and buggy but he's still got a horse and buggy because they didn't just roll out the cars i think that was like having a tesla now everyone can't afford one Mm. so he reportedly came across a landed spacecraft with a metallic surface which was completely featureless apart from a rudder and pointed ends. Then three slender, seven-foot-tall extraterrestrials were said to approach from the craft while emitting a strange warbling sound. The beings reportedly examined the man's buggy and then tried to force him to accompany them back to the airship. The aliens were said to give up after realising they lacked the physical strength to force that little guy aboard. Considering that there were three seven-foot-tall aliens, I find that hard to believe. But maybe they just don't have any muscle mass. I don't know. I saw something weird like this in Hastings in the summer. What? My daughter and I were on the beach one of the last days of the summer. And we looked up and saw like a man in a gyrocopter, kind of like the Birdman in Mad Max. Yeah. Everyone looked up, but they just kind of kept going with their day. It was weird. What? Like a frameless helicopter with a guy just pedaling in the sky. It was the weirdest thing. Wow. Super cool. Yeah, way cool. But why was everyone not going, wow? I mean, I don't know. That was the weirdest thing. That was the weird thing. We were going, wow, but no one else was. I looked at some people and said, did you see that? Did they see it? They said, yes, and kept walking. Oh, whatever. So it wasn't like you're in a time slip and you and and your daughter were the only ones. No. Wow. But anyway, going back to Men in Black, trying to find evidence of them. Mm. I found an FBI memo dated from March 22 in 1950, authored by an agent called Guy Hotel. Hotel. It's like hotel, but with two T's. He was the head of the field office in Washington, D.C. at the time. The memo was addressed to the director, J. Edgar Hoover, and recorded and indexed in FBI records. In it, there was a story told to an agent by a witness who said, an Air Force investigator had reported that three flying saucers were recovered in New Mexico. The memo says, 
They were described as circular in shape with raised centres approximately 50 feet in diameter. Each one was occupied by three bodies of human shape but only three feet tall, dressed in metallic cloth of a very fine texture. Each body was bandaged in a manner similar to the blackout suits used by speed flyers and test pilots. Now I looked those up. They're called G-suits and they are warned to avoid from passing out at high altitudes. Okay. Think Tom Cruise in Top Gun, the outfits that they wore in that. <laughs> After relaying the informant's claim that the sources had been found because the government's high-powered radar in the area had interfered with the controlling mechanisms of the sources, the memo then ends by saying that no further evaluation was attempted. This is three years after Roswell, by the way. So that's just a mystery that I found whilst trying to find men in black. Apologies, I still haven't hit you up with any men in black facts. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. There ain't none. I can't find anything apart from anecdotal tales with no background whatsoever. For example... Men in black, changing into shape, changing aliens. Random. Okay. Is it just creepypastas? Or I found something saying that men in black look slightly strange and behave in an unusual manner. Interesting. Or right. not. Then I found one saying that there's women in black. In fact, there was an occasion where somebody was visited after seeing an, a UFO or an alien and they found it strange because she had lopsided boobs. What? Come on. That is ridiculous. Every woman in the world has lopsided boobs. Thank no you. No one is symmetrical. Come on. No, and they also say that they often possess unusual features like glowing eyes and strange complexions. Is this made up nonsense or is it just twisted facts? Are they aliens or are they military government agents or are they just made up, Michelle? Some evidence says intelligence agents have been sent to the scene of a UFO sighting and a quick peek into the Freedom of Information Act does reveal that this happened throughout the 60s and 70s. However, the Ministry of Defence deny threatening witnesses or behaving bizarrely well they would wouldn't they i will say geordie that probably 90 percent of the cases that we talk about on this podcast to do with any kind of alien sightings they do mention government officials were sent even today in france government investigated i mean i was just talking to a friend and maybe we'll do this as you know an episode but his dad had a UFO experience and also was visited by the government. Interesting. Wow. I mean, the government either are keeping it hidden, it's sealed, um, they're redacting big swathes of tech. Or is the government just shape-changing men in black suited aliens? Well... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've silenced Michelle. Look, I, she loves that. I really don't know. I just eyes lit up. Yeah, men in black. Are they aliens? Is it the government? Why are they in black? Why are they in black suits? I think that is just the movie. But well, no, men in black were before the movie, and they're called men in black because they were suited. In 1952, American man Albert Bender. Not a great name. <laughs> Created an open membership society called the Flying Saucer Bureau in response to Donald Kehoe's articles. Now, Donald Kehoe was a UFO researcher and writer who said that the US government should conduct research into UFO matters and should publicly release all its UFO files because he believed that there was information there that was being kept. Yeah. So he was writing a lot of articles and things. So the Flying Saucer Bureau... Started up, but then it folded after a year and Bender appeared to have been silenced. Okay. And he says three dark suited agents had warned him he was too close to the truth and he needed to shut his face. But that didn't bother him because 
The year after, in 1962, he released a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And in this book, he describes his experience. Okay. He says, They floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen but wore hats similar to Homburg style. Don't know what that is. Didn't Google it. The faces were not clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable. I think that's fiction, personally. Really? I mean, they're not government officials. They're hovering off the ground and they've got piercing eyes. (laughs) Unless the government officials are aliens, Michelle. Like I said. But it does sound a little bit like a Halloween costume. It's weird. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, it is weird. And that was so long ago, it's weird. But I'm going to tell you a story a bit closer to home, Mm -hmm. a bit closer to the present day. And it is a bit of a shocker. Whether it's MIB related or not, that's for you to decide. Jim Templeton, who was a fireman from Carlisle in the Great Britain, Things took a strange turn for him after he took photographs of his little girl in her pretty dress one day, family outing, up to Berg Marsh, which was overlooking the Solway Firth in Cumbria. She was holding a bunch of wildflowers. He took some lovely photos on his camera. His wife and an elderly couple in a car nearby were the only people that Jim saw that day. But when he had the photos developed, the chemist pointed out how it had been ruined by the presence of what appeared to be a giant man in a spacesuit standing behind his daughter. What? Oh, my God. And I have seen this picture before, and it gave me the willies then, and when I Googled it again this time, same pic, gave me the willies once more. Jesus. I had to look at it for a really long time. It's looming above his daughter in the shot. It really does give me the chills. Jim took the photo to the police in Carlisle, who declared there was nothing out of the ordinary. (laughs) And then Kodak, whose film Jim had used, offered a reward to anyone who could prove the photo was faked. It was never claimed. The media, however, got a whiff of things and it went crazy. Jim began receiving letters from all over the world, with some people claiming it was a spirit and others believed Jim or his daughter had psychic powers that they had not been aware of. This is where things get real strange because Jim then said, two men in black came to visit him. They asked him to take him to the spot where the image was taken and referred to each other only as number nine and number 11 throughout the meeting. No, I love that. But scary. This is another weird connection, though, Michelle, because, and I forgot to give you the dates. I'm so sorry. It's in the 80s, I think. Okay. Yeah. I didn't put the dates. Well, down. it I'm must so be because A, he's got a camera and B, it's got a roll of film. So it's not any yeah. time when digital cameras were around exactly so he's had this visit from the men in black and then there's another link there's a planned launch of something called the blue streak missile in woomera in south australia so they're they're testing missiles it's called the blue streak just days after jim templeton had taken his photograph the australian missile test was aborted by technicians who reported seeing two men i'm sorry i'm getting the i'm getting the absolute heebie-jeebies here (laughs) because i can hear noises in the background okay I think I'm safe. They had to abort the missile launch because they saw two men in the firing range. And then they saw the newspaper showed the picture of the Solway spaceman, Jim's story, Mm -hmm. which made the international news. They saw the front page of an Australian newspaper with the picture of his little girl and the spaceman behind. And they were shocked because this spaceman looked exactly the same as the figures they saw close to the missile. More links. The missile was made in Cumbria. (gasps) Fuck. Okay. Mm. 
Shit. Just a little spooky thing for you there. Spooky thing. Spooky thing. What is going on? But what's going on here, Jordy? What's going on? I don't know. I'm just going to have to leave that there hanging. On June the 24th in 1947, private pilot Kenneth Arnold saw a string of nine UFOs, all shiny. They were flying past Mount Rainier in Washington State at speeds estimated at around 1,200 miles an hour, which is about 1,932 kilometers an hour. The reported sighting made national news and his description of the objects launched the phrase flying saucers in the press. Right. Ten days later, E.J. Smith, his co-pilot and a stewardess, reported witnessing unidentified objects in the Pacific Northwest. Then Harold Dahl, who was on a conservation mission near the eastern shore of Washington's Maori Island, gathering logs. Now, he's on a boat. He then saw six donut-shaped obstacles hovering about half a mile above his boat. Before long, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris, all of which hit Dahl's son, who was on board with him, Charles, on his arm, as well as the family dog, who was killed. Can I just say, this is very shades of nope. Yes, it is, rather. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which was later shown to his supervisor, Fred Crisman. Crisman then went back to the scene to look for himself and saw a strange aircraft with his own eyes. Here's Dahl's report to investigators. He says, On June 21, 1947, in the afternoon about two o'clock, I was patrolling the East Bay of Maury Island. I, as captain, was steering my patrol boat close to the shore of a bay on Maury Island. On board were two crewmen, my 15-year-old son and his dog. As I looked up from the wheel of my boat, I noticed six very large donut-shaped aircraft, which began spewing forth what seemed like thousands of newspapers from somewhere on the inside of its centre. These newspapers, which turned out to be a white type of very lightweight metal fluttered to earth dahl said the substance resembling lava rocks fell onto their boat breaking his son's arm and killing the dog like i said the next morning dahl was visited by a man in a black suit who recounted in extraordinary detail what dahl had just experienced before telling dahl what i have said is proof to you that i know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe dahl was told not to speak of the incident and if he did Bad things would happen. Oh, fuck. Now, this is all according to an author called Gray Barker. In his 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Apparently, then Dahl and Chrisman contacted a Chicago magazine to sell their story. The magazine editor then contacted Arnold, the original pilot who saw these six donut-shaped things about two weeks beforehand, to see if he could verify this experience. Experience that Dahl and Grisman had had. Yep. But then suddenly, according to reports, Arnold had then summoned two officers of the Army A2 intelligence to investigate Dahl and Grisman's claims, which they did. But when they left in their B-52 the next day, their plane caught fire and crashed, <gasps> killing both the officers. Weird, right? This is all very, very hard to follow. I'm sorry. Later, links back to Albert Bender, who I started with, the yeah. guy who started the Flying Saucer place, links back to his visits from MIBs in 1953, cemented the idea of Men in Black, just as Arnold's press coverage had introduced the idea of UFOs to the wider world. And according to a ufologist, another name here, sorry, Nick Redfern, who wrote the book Real Men in Black, yep. this is where it first came from. So it's basically the origin story that I'm trying to tell you. And if you want to know more, read the book The Real Men in Black right. by Nick Redfern. But just quickly to kind of wrap it up, I'm just going to go back to Men in Black and Literature. Mm-hmm. 
the Mothman prophecies. We've done a story about yes. it. There's an, the author of the book, John Keel, was the first person credited with using the MIB abbreviation in his writings. And author Gray Barker, who is a recognised ufologist, wrote several non-fiction books featuring men in black, including 1956's They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Right. That was the one I mentioned earlier. And 1984's MIB, The Secret Terror Among Us. Right. So they might be interesting things to read on if any listeners are interested. Ultimately, Michelle, looking into this story, I was dragged down a lot of different avenues, some fictional, some nonfiction. So it's really hard for me to figure out the true nature of the men in black. Are there actual factual stories out there Mm. of incidences where they've met the men in black? I think the only one that really struck me as being remotely accurate was Jim Templeton and his picture. I want you to link it. It's amazing. The man in the spacesuit behind his daughter holding the flowers. It sounds crazy. Okay, I'm going to slightly ruin it for you now then. (laughs) When you first see it, it's going to scare the shit out of you. You'll be like, what the fuck is that but then there are other pictures on that role of him with his wife she is wearing a very pale colored dress and it could be some kind of imprint or misprint or something do you think that after a long stare at it possibly no okay i call not so much bullshit Mm. as confusion and magical thinking when it comes to men in black okay and possibly a touch of hoaxery. Yes. But I would be interested to know more. So anyone who's got info, do, do writing. Of course. I do believe that being visited by government officials, whether they're wearing black suits or not, I think it's a thing. I think there's too much anecdotal evidence, especially with all the stuff we've done over our last four seasons of podcasts to not believe that the government do investigate these things. Whether or not they're men in black, I don't know. Are men in black aliens coming down, trying to fit in to our society by wearing a black suit and thinking they look human? I don't know. Mm. Unlikely, but maybe, who knows? Super interesting. This Jim Templeton thing, I want to see the picture. Could also be that the wife just had a gust of wind up a skirt i don't know i'm I'm very keen to look i'm very keen to look could be i mean you'll always find something to back up your idea really interesting to be fair i actually thought there would be a lot more out there on men in black yeah obviously that movie did popularize the idea of men in black but that is pretty much all you can find on the internet and that's all i've got at my fingertips i do not have the encyclopedia britannica but i do have the chambers dictionary of the unexplained and thank you once again jane beacon for the gift that just keeps on giving but with that all wrapped up nice and neatly in a big black bow Let's say our farewells because we've come to the end of the episode. And if you want to hear more on the subject, I've got a little bit more, but I think we'll keep that for an extra droppings. And I think we know how to do that, don't we? You go to the Patreon page, people. You pay it. You pay a little (laughs) bit of money. You buy us a coffee. We tell you more stories. That's how it works. It's linked up. I've linked the shit out of the Patreon page every which way, everywhere. So follow the links. Every which way but loose. (laughs) Well, then, it's time now for us to finally say, wherever you are, whatever you do, just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.
Ow. 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 Ow.